Welcome to episode 34 of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. The Trudeau government has announced their vaccine mandates for federal employees and international travel, sounding very much like they have broad popular support. Even though in the last election on September 20th, the Liberal Party only received 32% of the popular vote, earning it the title from the National Post newspaper, the least popular Canadian government ever elected. We'll be discussing the new federal decrees and related developments later in the show. But first, we're going to look at the case of a doctor who has spoken up about his experience in the Alberta hospital system. And with that brief teaser, I'll turn it over to our host. John, who is Dr. Daniel Nagase? Dr. Daniel Nagase has been a doctor for over 15 years, graduate of Dalhousie Medical School in 2004, emergency doctor for the last 10 years, working in rural, underserviced communities throughout Alberta since 2015. So that's the last six years in rural, underserviced communities. Uh, I think other Canadian provinces uh, have the same phenomenon where the City dwellers or people in the, the large, larger cities are getting better access to doctors. And a lot of doctors just don't want to live in the um, rural and, uh, and small town communities. So they're always short on doctors. Mm-hmm. Now, Dr. Daniel Nagase was speaking at a rally in Vancouver on October the 1st, and it was uh, – rally in commemoration of the 75th anniversary of the Nuremberg Code. We've touched on this before. This is the Code of Medical Ethics that arose from the uh, the aftermath of the Second World War, where the Nazis had um, conducted experiments on humans without their consent. Uh, many of those experiments just incredibly cruel and uh, leading to death and serious harm. And so the Nuremberg Code, uh, the central concept is informed voluntary consent. Informed consent, meaning that you really know all of the risks uh, as well as potential benefits of a particular medical treatment. So we're not withholding information from you about the risks, nor are we exaggerating information about the benefits. So it's informed. Voluntary means no duress, no pressure. So that your only consideration is whether this is good for your health, which means that, you know, when governments start offering uh, $100 for you to, to get injected or they've set up a lottery system or worse yet, uh, if organizations like Alberta Health Services say that you're going to lose your job and get fired unless you get this injection, that's a blatant violation of the Nuremberg Code. And it's been argued that it's not a violation because this has been approved by government. But that misses the whole point entirely. Uh, the fact that the mRNA vaccine or, or gene therapy has been approved for use, that's that's neither here nor there. I mean, that means that the governments are allowing uh, or act, actively promoting its use. That says nothing to what I am doing as an individual. If I'm choosing to get injected with that substance, yes or no, 
That's a consent question that is not settled or solved or decided by virtue of the fact that the government has authorized the use. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, got it. Now, he talks about – this is quoting from, uh, quoting from Dr. Daniel Negase's speech uh, on October 1st in Vancouver. Let me tell you what happened in Rimby, Alberta, a small town a couple of hours west of Red Deer. It shocked me. I started on Saturday morning in the ER, and when it came time to round on the ward patients, the charge nurse informed me that three of the patients on the COVID wing had deteriorated overnight. All the patients were on oxygen and extremely short of breath. The only medication these patients were on were steroids, a medication that will decrease inflammation but increase the chances of a bacterial infection by suppressing the immune system. That's right. The only medication the COVID patients at this hospital were on were immune suppressants. One woman said it felt just like we put her in a corner to die. We weren't doing anything for her. I told her I can't speak I can't speak for the usual doctors during the week, but it's the weekend. I'll do everything I can to help. I offered ivermectin. She wanted to try it because she had heard nothing but good things about it. All three patients wanted to try ivermectin. The hospital didn't have any, so we had to ask Red Deer Hospital Central Pharmacy for the medication. I'm going to skip over part of the details on how we got the ivermectin. So a little bit further, he's, uh, Dr. Nagase says, So I started everyone on the next best thing, hydroxychloroquine, which the hospital did have. And just as an aside, uh, both ivermectin and hydrochloroquine have been prescribed to human beings for decades. They are cheap uh, when they're sold and, and used. They do not generate a lot of profits for, uh, for, for pharmaceutical companies. I'm just stating a fact. These are, uh, these are cheap medications uh, on which the, the patent has, has expired or is in any event not, uh, not raising a lot of money. Okay, uh, back to Dr. Nagase. He says, I also started vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. And because the patients were coughing and short of breath, I gave them inhalers, salbutamol and flovent, the same inhalers that have been used for asthma for over 50 years. I also gave them azithromycin. Uh, surprisingly, by late afternoon, the town pharmacist finally found some ivermectin. Uh, I handed ivermectin to each of my three patients with their exact dose according to their weight. You'll never guess what happened next. Within hours of getting ivermectin, I got a call from the Central Zone Medical medical Director, Dr. Jennifer Bastard. She called me to tell me I was forbidden from giving ivermectin to patients. I told her she's never met the patients, she's not their doctor, and had no right to be changing the care of my patients without the patient's permission. She said ivermectin was forbidden from the hospital, even if the patients had their own ivermectin. Patients would not be allowed to take their own ivermectin. It was a violation of Alberta Health Services policy to give ivermectin for COVID. That wasn't good enough. The next day she called the hospital, gave me 15 minutes notice that I would be relieved of my duties. I told her it was unreasonable. I had an emergency department full of patients who can't be sorted out in 15 minutes. An hour later, another local doctor came to replace me. They didn't even want me to check up on the patients who I gave ivermectin to. Not even 24 hours after getting ivermectin, two out of my three patients were almost completely better. They were out of bed, walking around, and all the crackles I heard in their lungs from the day before were gone. 
All it took was about 18 hours and one dose of ivermectin. The third patient, who was 95 years old, stayed the same. She didn't get any worse uh, like she had done the night previous. I found out later that no sooner had I left Rimby Hospital, the next doctor who came to replace me stopped the antibiotics, stopped all the vitamins. She even stopped the patient's inhalers. Within hours of my leaving the hospital, this doctor even took away the patient's inhalers to help her breathe. The patients were not even allowed vitamins. Thankfully, both my 70-year-old patients who had immediate recoveries after a single dose of ivermectin left the hospital that week. So, well, they tried to kill him, but they didn't. That's hmm. good. So, yes, okay, so he's out there speaking, telling this story, and... Um, what he says he says oh. there is something, and this is I'm still reading from his uh, speech in Vancouver yeah. on, okay, on Friday, October 1st. There is something malicious going on. I hope you can all see the bigger picture. This is more than me having all my assignments to take care of small communities cancelled for the rest of the year. This is more than the medical director, Dr. Francois Bélanger, banning me from hospital practice throughout all of Alberta. Wow. This is malicious, yes. So yeah. bear in mind, so this is this is how fanatical Alberta Health Services is, and I, I have no doubt it's the same in other Canadian provinces. The idea that nobody should get prescribed any ivermectin in spite of the fact that there's no harm uh, unless, like anything else, you take it in excessive doses, right? So if you take mm-hmm. – if you overdose on ivermectin, uh, that would be like – you know, overdosing on on Tylenol, on Advil, on heroin, on alcohol, on whatever else. If you if you don't take the right dose of it, it's going to be harmful. So yes, people have been harmed by taking too much ivermectin, just like people have been harmed by taking too much Tylenol. And you could come up with a thousand examples. But when taken in correct dosages, there's no evidence of harm, which means that even if ivermectin was only ten percent successful. And here in this very small, uh, you know, sample of only three people, but here the ivermectin was 67% successful. And we've got other reports from India, from Peru. We have reports from all over the world about a significant success rate when ivermectin is used. Particularly and when it's used early. Prior, early, yeah. It keeps people from going to the hospital. It does work, actually. Uh, it does help people recover once they're there, but it's more effective with early treatment. Yeah. The earlier you take it, the better. But even if you're like these three patients, these patients are in hospital because they're very sick with COVID. Mm. So they get ivermectin, they get better. Now, what I find peculiar and offensive on the websites, uh, you can go to Health Canada, you can go to Alberta Health Services, you can go to the uh, American website, Food and Drug Administration, you can go for the American uh, Center for Disease Control, the CDC. And they all say, Ivermectin is not effective in treating COVID, therefore should not be prescribed. Well, that, that's simply not true. Uh, they, they say it's not effective. That's on the basis of ignoring peer-reviewed scientific studies and ignoring all the evidence from India and other countries where it has been used and is being used successfully. Dr. Nagase also references a study uh Showing, and this is a Alberta Health Services study, which I haven't had a chance to read yet. I hope to have read it by next week. But 
ostensibly showing 0% mortality for patients given ivermectin. In study after study, 0% mortality, 0% mortality, 0% mortality with ivermectin. And in severe COVID, a 50% reduction in mortality with ivermectin. These are crimes against humanity, criminal negligence causing death. Just a week ago, just a week after I filed a complaint that Dr. Gerald Lazarenko was withholding a life-saving medication from an entire province, the Alberta College of Physicians and Surgeons forbade doctors and pharmacists from giving patients ivermectin. We must remember, we are here to remember not just the people who died from medical experimentation, we are here to remember the people today. We are here to remember every single doctor, lawyer, and medical ethicist that sits on the board of the BC College, which is investigating Dr. Charles Hoff for speaking the truth. We are here to to remember every doctor who stopped patients from having a life-saving medication, which is a crime of criminal negligence. And what for? To boost mortality? To create an ICU crisis? To create a state of emergency? All to push a vaccine? We must remember the people of the past and the people of today. History repeats itself. Nuremberg will happen again. We must remember. Yes, this... uh you're hearing this from a lot of people now, you know, the uh, Rome Declaration where they chimed in with uh, crimes against humanity. That was, uh, I think they're at something like just about 11,000 doctors from around the world signed that. That's where they talk about withholding treatment as well. And then, of course, even here in Alberta, we had uh, the company that's working with you, Rath and Company, Rath, he wrote a, a scathing letter against the uh, – College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta and their council, where he makes a lot of these same points. Uh, I don't think he uses crimes against humanity, but he uh, essentially calls for them to all resign <laughs> based on their negligence. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's a great letter. It's posted on the uh, the jccf.ca uh, website, and I urge you to read it. It's uh, about 11 pages, quite long, but boy, it's a blast, a refreshing blast from someone here in Alberta directly at the college. And the more I'm hearing about this, I was worried about it a long time ago, but I'm more reassured that these people will not escape the judgment of history and hopefully the judgment of their fellow man um, as this progresses. Anyways, continue with this. Well, if you can't can't answer uh, a straightforward question right now, how are you going to be able to answer a straightforward question five or 10 or 15 years from now, like the rationale for not prescribing ivermectin is that it's quote, not effective. What they mean by that is that it is not a hundred percent effective, but no medication is no surgery is no treatment is a hundred percent and no vaccine is a hundred percent effective. But that seems to be their standard. When you look at the, the health Canada and the, uh, provincial colleges and the uh, many government websites. You go to a government website, you look at what they have to say about ivermectin. The ones that I've seen so far, they ignore what's been done successfully in India and about 20 other countries all over the world where ivermectin has been used successfully. They ignore that. They pretend it doesn't exist. Then they say ivermectin's not 100% effective. And then they say it should not be prescribed. But, you know, 
lockdowns, if they were effective at all, and I, don't, I think they killed a lot more people than, than any number of lives that they may have saved, uh, but lockdowns were not 100% effective. Vaccines most certainly are not. Uh, we've got hospitals full of vaccinated people, um, or maybe not everybody, but in the hospital being vaccinated, but you know, it's just... Mm-hmm. Nothing is 100% effective. This is why when you go see a doctor, he says, well, you know, try Advil, uh, try this ointment, try physiotherapy, try massage, try exercise, try this, try that, because nothing's 100% effective. So to say we're not going to prescribe ivermectin because it's, quote, not effective, quote, in treating COVID, by which they mean it's not 100% effective, even if ivermectin is only 20% effective, and if it if proper dosages do not cause negative uh, side effects, then even at a 20% success rate, if it's cheap and it doesn't have harmful side effects, why would you not be prescribing it, even with a 20% success rate? Now, all of the studies show it's multiples of, of 20, uh, 60, 80% uh, effective. So this is... This is very serious wrongdoing on the part of the Alberta College to prohibit doctors from prescribing ivermectin when they have that flimsy of a rationale for that kind of heavy handedness. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would love to be suggesting motives, but uh, I guess we're going to uh, stay away from that today. Actually, this uh, it makes an interesting point in this wrath letter. You know, he says one of the reasons that uh, they always cite, you had given a few of them there, one of the reasons they always cite is, well, the CDC says that blah, blah, blah. Jerry... uh, Jeff, Jeff Rath. Sorry, Jeff Rath says, the U.S. is not the only country in the world. Why do you have to follow everything that they do? Obviously, they had a high death rate, you know? I mean, why should you be following them? I mean, that's me adding... This is is a sick Canadian disease to pretend that there are only two countries in the world, Canada and the United States, and then use the United States as a sole reference point when in fact there are Well, they only about, do that when it suits their agenda and I don't well, like their for, agenda right now at all. It's uh, You get the same thing with healthcare, right? Mm. If you want to talk about changing the Canadian healthcare system, the first thing the defenders of the status quo will say is the United States has got terrible healthcare and shame on you for wanting us to adopt an American system. To which I have to say, no, uh, actually, you know, I was thinking of the United Kingdom and and Sweden and Japan and Australia and all of these countries that that have different healthcare, but yeah, the CDC is not the only source of information. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so he gives this speech. Are you still quoting from the speech, or did you want to? No, that was that was the end of the speech. So this doctor is very courageous, yeah. and I think it speaks volumes about the mindset and the nature of Alberta Health Services that that the, their singular fixation on people not getting prescribed iver, ivermectin, that is more important to them than all kinds of patients getting looked at by a doctor for all kinds of illnesses. Because in rural Alberta, as in other rural parts of, of other provinces, there is a doctor shortage. And when you fire a doctor effectively and say, you know, we're not giving you any more shifts, you're not allowed to work here. What that means practically is that there is less care available for patients uh, to the point where some small clinics uh, that exist in smaller towns, they won't even open up unless there is at least one doctor present there. So, 
Alberta Health Services has cracked down on Dr. Daniel Nagase by saying he's not allowed to work in Alberta because their commitment to people not getting ivermectin, it outweighs their concern for the patient well-being because now there's going to be dozens and dozens of patients or, or, you know, over a period of a few months, hundreds of patients are not going to get care from a doctor because Alberta Health Services has decided to suspend one doctor from uh, from getting any shifts in rural Alberta. Right. So shame on Alberta Health Services for not caring about patients. Right. Well, you brought him up. So maybe you could tell us what you're going to do to help people like Dr. Nagase. We're going to sue Alberta Health Services. We announced oh. that. We have over 20 uh, applicants. I don't know if the legal team wants a lot more or not. This is technically not a class action, but it it's a court action with with uh, it's going to have ten or twenty or more claimants, uh, including doctors and nurses and okay. non unionized employees. Special focus on the non unionized because the unionized employees have got their own unions that are supposed to be going to bat for them. So it's tricky, if not impossible, for the Justice Center to jump into some of these union situations because there's right. already legal representation is, is built into place already. So is this an anti-vax suit that he's being included in or is it a different type of suit that he's being – because he's talking about – He's not – sorry, I should clarify. Dr. Yeah. Nagase is is not uh, – at least not right now. He's not one of the 20 people that's going to oh, okay. serve Alberta uh, – going to sue Alberta Health Services. But the outcome of this court case – applies to everybody. So in this court case, we're going to have world-class vaccinologists, scientists, doctors that are going to speak to the the pertinent issues, like uh, how much of a threat is COVID to people under 70, that it warrants these kinds of measures. Are you talking this... about alternative treatments other than vaccines and things like that? Like the uh... we may we we may well. I don't know if the I don't know specifically if the legal team is going to include that, but it's it's certainly it's a relevant it is a relevant issue because if ivermectin works, then why do we need vaccines when in fact we can treat COVID, and huh. it's not the the darkness that it has been portrayed by our chief medical officers and politicians in the last year and a half reiterating endlessly that there is no treatment for COVID, you know, therefore uh, we have to kill the, destroy the social fabric of society. We have to kill the economy. We have to push people into isolation and loneliness. And now we're going to have medical apartheid with second-class citizens for the, the uninjected or the, the non-injected are going to be second-class citizens. Well, none of that would have to be the case if we were using ivermectin to treat COVID. Yes, well, this is so. Uh, it's, it, it, it may it be may very, it may very well end up in in the lawsuit. The other big one that is a huge medical and scientific issue is this notion that the uh, government, with its uh, paid propaganda machine, the ma- mainstream media, uh, this notion that unvaccinated people are spreading the virus and should be held responsible solely responsible for spreading the virus, and vaccinated people are not spreading the virus. Uh, this one's be- big. I mean, I, I can't believe how many people I actually know that think that way. They think that because they are vaccinated, that they are 
protected from the Delta variant. For some reason, they have this. That's another one. That's I, I was referring to the the non-distinction between vaccinated and yeah. unvaccinated people in terms of who's a spreader. The answer is we are all spreaders, uh, potentially, especially if we're symptomatic. If we're not symptomatic, we're not spreaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if we have symptoms, we're spreaders. But there's no distinction between vaccinated and, and unvaccinated. And then that ties in with your big point that you just raised. Oh, yes, the Delta variant. Mm-hmm. So the mRNA experimental gene therapy does not protect against the Delta variant. We see that all the time. There's lots of vaccinated people in hospital that have the Delta variant. So it it's not working. And some people don't mind being lied to. I mean, we were told only three or four months ago, it was like, once we get to 70% vaccination, life will get back to normal. Well, that's turned mm. into a big lie because we've got we've got to wear masks. We've got to do social distancing. Even vaccinated people, this is hilarious, really. It's tragic. It's sad. But it's a little bit hilarious. The first-class citizens, the, the injected ones, they are limited at Thanksgiving in Alberta – uh, only people from two different households and uh, to a maximum of 10 adults or 10 people over the age of 12. I'm not sure uh, how the teenagers are, are, are counted for this. But basically, you've got a restriction on mm-hmm. you can't have three families getting together for, for Thanksgiving or you can't get friends from even even amongst the injected ones, the first class citizens, you cannot get friends or family from three different households legally meeting up with each other. Now, of course, some will just blame that on the unvaccinated. The unvaccinated cannot legally meet up with anybody at all other than people that they're living with. In New Brunswick, uh, the, the premier already, they're always first out of the gates with this with these um, total violation of charter rights and freedoms. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know what's, what's going on in, in Atlantic Canada, but they're first out of the gates. New Brunswick announced a week or 10 days ago uh, no, no visitors at Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was funny. You got to have Canada, Thanksgiving dinner yeah. only, like the people that you normally live with. You can, you know, and if you normally yeah. live with five, five other people, okay. So you got six people for Thanksgiving, but no, no visitors allowed for Thanksgiving. That's the yeah. rule. That was actually here in Alberta when Kenny made his announcement to that similar effect. I think shortly thereafter, uh, Fauci down in the United States had to climb down from his recommendations about uh, canceling Thanksgiving and uh, possibly Christmas because of the outcry down there. Of course, people were pointing to all these gala events that, you know, all these uh, people are attending, uh, these celebrities and things like this, and the stadiums full of people, and everybody was just shouting at him that he had to back down. And so uh, it was kind of funny. Yeah, you want to do what the United States is doing? Well, why don't you back down on Thanksgiving, Kenny? I mean, the guy's popularity is plummeting to Joe Biden levels, and it's because he makes stupid announcements like this. You know, outdoor gatherings now limited to only twenty yeah. people. Yeah, no. like why you're you're out like you're outdoors, and um, so th- th- this gets back into the lie. We were told that the vaccines were going to allow us to get back to normal. And now it's like, well, no, not at all. We've got the same, uh, we've got very similar lockdowns compared to previously. We've got idiotic things like restrictions on the number of people gathering outdoors. I mean, think about this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like, yes, the, if, if you're in a small room with somebody that is symptomatic, somebody that's actually sick, and you're in a small room 
for longer than 15 minutes uh, or longer than 10 minutes in a small room, then yes, you could catch it from somebody who actually has symptoms. If they're asymptomatic, you're not going to catch it. And certainly outdoors, you're not going to catch it. And so they had the rather useless, meaningless limit of 200 people outdoors maximum in Alberta. And now there's only 20 people can gather together outdoors. Yeah. This is science? No, it's not science. It's control. Everybody, I think, recognizes it as control, except for the frightened. And, uh, you know, who knows how it's going to well, come Some people out. like to be controlled. That's the problem. Yeah. The, the they're they're ones. announcing today that the COVID cases are dropping like a stone here in Canada. Um, oh. Yeah, like – so maybe they, they're going to ease up now that they – Trudeau announced his mandate uh, federally on all uh, – employees of the federal government and for travel outside of the country. Did you see that Western standard story where they talked about the 300,000 Canadian government employees? I guess they're going to exempt over 200,000 of them. Hmm. (laughs) Yes. Okay. That should uh, dull the opposition, but I think it is horrific. We're very much in league with repressive dictatorships when we cannot leave Canada. Oh, yeah, that. I was going to ask you about that. That is obviously a violation of our church. This is the first time I'm 54 years old. This is the first time I've lived in a country that I've lived anywhere where I'm actually not free to leave. You know, and I wasn't never been particularly interested in leaving Canada per se. But that's not the point, whether I was interested or not, whether I intended to or not. The point was the principle that uh, this is not a prison camp or should not be. This is not like the Soviet Union uh, where it was illegal to leave, you know, Poland, Hungary, uh, all these bloc countries, uh, Cuba, etc. People are not free to leave. And that tells you that tells you everything you need to know about how, how wonderful of a paradise it is. Or now, you know, we won't call it a worker's paradise. We'll call it the safety paradise where everybody's safe from, from COVID. <laughs> I, oh, but <laughs> You're not is... allowed to leave. If you, if you can't leave, it's uh, that's just a severe violation of, of my rights. Again, on principle that I, after October 30th, cannot get on an airplane even traveling within Canada, my, my interpretation of it uh, is, is that, you know, no uh, airplane leaving a Canadian airport. So I guess that's, that would be true for interprovincial travel as well. I cannot fly out of this country. I guess I could still drive from Alberta to British Columbia to visit my mother uh, and she can drive out here. Uh, but we can't fly anymore unless we have taken this experimental mRNA gene therapy. Right. So what rights do you have? That's people are getting very cynical about this now. You know, like you're telling us that this is a violation of our rights and everybody's going, what rights? You know, even the courts don't seem to want to adjudicate us. They don't seem to be on our side. They're just dragging their heels. Certainly the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench in the uh, court action, the Justice Center started in December of 2020. has been extremely lenient uh, with the government, giving them eight months to come up with evidence to justify the violation of our uh, charter freedoms to uh, uh, to associate, to assemble, to to practice one's faith, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And this is a total. You know, you go from charter violations started in in March or perhaps April uh, of with all these rules of twenty twenty. Yeah. So in December we file a court action. 
So that's uh, eight or nine months later. And then from the time we file the court action until the government introduces evidence to, to attempt to justify the violation of these charter freedoms is not till July of 2021. So that's 16 months of charter violations with the government not being required to show anything to, uh, to justify them. Yes, and, and the court special. action is the only way to, to get them to show anything because otherwise at the news conferences, I, I have written letters uh, asking, you know, very reasonable, very specific questions and you just get stonewalled. They do not provide answers to questions if those questions in any way challenge what they are doing. Right. Now, they will answer media questions because, uh, you know, those are all softballs. Well, what else are you going to do to uh, save, save us? Save us, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, so we both you know, said that at the same time. Ooh. Yeah, save us. <laughs> save yeah. us, yes. Well, I don't know whether we have much of a fourth estate these days, but uh, at least we have, for the time being, the freedom to exchange information around the fourth estate. So what happened with the Alberta court case? Did Dina Henshaw ever get back from her holiday? I uh... <laughs> The the case is ongoing. Uh, yeah. They're going to look at new deadlines now. We will very likely amend our statement of claim to also challenge the uh, the medical apartheid, mm. which we, in our court documents, will not call it medical apartheid, but effectively the vaccine passports. We're going to challenge that as well. And you asked a question earlier, why are people not upset about this? And I think a lot of it is simply it's short-sightedness at what's going on because people who have been injected with this substance and who are not unhappy about it, they kind of – they don't see what the impact is on them because for them, they can fly. Uh, they can still have one other family over for Thanksgiving as opposed to the uninjected who get zero visitors at Thanksgiving. But – they don't mind because they can still fly. They can still be employed. They can still feed their families. And it's almost analogous to, you know, when, when governments violate free speech by saying, well, we're going to ban uh, hateful speech, but we're, we're going to decide what constitutes hatred, what is or is not hateful. And we're going to ban homophobic and transphobic and Islamophobic speech. A lot of people hear that and they go, well... I never say anything that, you know, anybody would consider hateful, homophobic, transphobic, Islamophobic. So it has no impact on me. So I'm not going to protest. Or when the government confiscates uh, firearms from citizens that have legally acquired them, uh, have paid valuable consideration, have paid money for them, and the government takes that property away, uh, people that don't own firearms they're short-sighted. They don't realize, okay, this is the government taking away private property from people that is legal property, it's lawfully acquired, and now the government's just taking it from you. They're not thinking about it on that level. They're more thinking, well, I don't own any firearms, and I think they kind of look, to me, they kind of look creepy and dangerous and frightening anyway. I don't, I don't even like the looks of them. I'm not interested in owning one in the future, so I'm just going to let this one go. Okay. So you've so, got the short-sightedness, whether it's free speech, whether it's firearms ownership, whether it's uh, these vaccine passports, you're not part of the minority, the unvaccinated, yet. the uninjected. You're not part of the minority that's getting kicked around. And it's so, very short-sighted if you allow minorities to get picked on and persecuted 
vilified, publicly denounced as disease spreaders, which, by the way, is one of the things that that anti-Semites say about Jews. They say that Jews are spreaders of diseases. But now we've got, you know, the unvaccinated are uh, being publicly vilified as disease spreaders. This is not moving towards a happy ending. Well, that's what I'm hearing from you. I'm, you're not making me very happy here, John. You're telling me that there's no hope now. We are headed towards tyranny, and everybody's just going to sleepwalk right into it. Uh, what do we have contact to wait for? The justice, contact the Justice Center and get yourself some more brochures. We have, I'm serious. <laughs> okay. We need to reach out. Uh, we, we just printed off another 30,000 uh, deadly cost of lockdowns. This brochure is uh, – um, we will be coming are, up as well. We're not we're into a privileged situation where the people who have the vaccine are not locked down. How well, we still going? have yes and no. I mean, you know, you're you're right. You make a good point. If if you're a first class citizen, if you're amongst, uh, if you're one of the injected ones, then uh, you can freely go into gyms and movie theaters and whatnot. So you do have some uh, you do have some more rights than that those the, those vile disease spreaders, uh, the, the uninjected. But there's still lockdown measures in place when you've got uh, capacity limits and social distancing and mask wearing. All well, we stuff. need those because the vaccines don't work. They still want to hand out the privileges, but they, you know, they realize that they got to do something here to sort of prevent the uh, idea spreading that the, uh, the lockdowns have failed, right? So this is, I just... Uh, not the lockdown, the it's vaccines like we have get, failed. Yeah. We just get lied to and people are okay with that like we, we were told the vaccines were just going to solve everything as a matter of fact that's a propaganda that i heard from media starting in march or april i remember uh the media which is a mouthpiece for the government agenda uh, which doesn't ask difficult questions uh, is not curious about truth but because just they receive government funding and they receive funding from people like the uh, companies that produce vaccines sorry go ahead Okay. So the propaganda that, that, that's been there for the last year and six months is to the effect that we will need to keep lockdowns in place until we get a vaccine. And I just remember those words, until we get a vaccine, until we get a vaccine, until mm. we get a vaccine, until we get a vaccine, until we get a vaccine. That, that's been the propaganda for a year and, eight, a year and, and, and six months. And so now we got the vaccine and, oh, gee, it's not working against the Delta variant. And there's, you know, double vaccinated people are, are still getting sick and dying. And we've got growing number of harms from, from the vaccine, uh, as reported by people receiving the vaccine. That's another uh, issue. The Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System, V-A-E-R-S, notes that there are uh, more deaths recorded from the COVID vaccine in the first eight months than all deaths from all vaccines combined over a period of 31 years. Mm -hmm. So eight months of COVID vaccines kill more people than all the other vaccines together over a period of 31 years. I mean, that, right. that, that tells you a lot that there's a risk involved, which is why the unvaccinated have every it's a very reasonable, uh, medically sound, scientific reason to say that you don't want to get a substance when you look at those uh, death stats of, right. of well, COVID vaccine versus all the others. 
could be worse than the VARES, actually. There's an apparent leak of Medicare data that is uh, tracking vaccine adverse effects. And uh, I haven't looked into the data, but uh, what they're saying about this leak is that the, the adverse effects are much worse than are being reported at VARES. So... This well, VAERS is, uh, is kind of an early warning system. VAERS, yeah. the V-A-E-R-S, uh, VAERS does not pretend to be a comprehensive list mm-hmm. of all, all deaths and all harms, but it's uh, preliminary data and it's scary when you think yeah. about, you know, COVID vaccine in eight months versus all other vaccines combined for 31 years. Uh, and, and to think you've got more deaths from the COVID vaccine is uh, in, in such a short time is worth pondering. Mm-hmm, for sure. Any other Justice Center news you want to catch us up on? I know that uh, we have several cases ongoing. Haven't heard anything from Manitoba lately. So we are getting closer and closer to filing the vaccine uh, passport court challenge in Ontario. Uh, we are also looking at British Columbia and uh, we are going to sue Alberta Health Services in uh, Alberta. And we are still waiting for the court ruling coming out of Manitoba on our uh, challenge to the lockdown measures in Manitoba. So mm-hmm. we, uh, in July, it was said that the judgment would be out in a few weeks, but um, such, is, uh, such is not the case. We're still waiting for it. Right, yeah. So, well, at least you're active. I mean, it's based on the amount of press releases that are going out of your place there, that it looks like we're keeping you on your toes with our mandates and our <laughs> egregious, tyrannical actions here in Canada. And so, it continues to break my heart every day. Uh, I am that. inundated with with uh, requests for help from people that are being threatened with loss of employment if they don't if they refuse to take the experimental substance students that are getting kicked out of university if they don't take the experimental mrna substance and it breaks my heart to that all i can do for these people is say well we've got letters on our website www.jccf.ca there are form letters there's one for students there's one for employees and take that use it enter into a dialogue ask for justification Ask your employer, ask the university, what is their science? What are they relying on? And um, when you provide that kind of pushback, you don't always win. Uh, you might still lose most of the time, but at least you have, uh, in, in some cases, when you push back, you'll find that the bully also backs off, at least in part. Mm-hmm. Uh, for universities and colleges, for example, uh, there's... Yes, there are some courses that are very hands-on that, you know, maybe you can't have them remotely through Zoom or Skype. But the majority of courses taught at universities and colleges can be put onto Zoom and Skype. So there's no reason for universities to threaten students and say, you must get injected, otherwise you're expelled. Uh, Same with employers that are requiring employees who work from home all the time Mm-hmm. have to be vaccinated. Alberta Health Services, I know a computer programmer, a uh, friend of mine, he's a technical guy. He works remotely 100% of the time uh, or close to it. I don't know if he ever has to go into a hospital to fix a computer, but he's, he's part of their, you know, Alberta Health Services IT department. So he's working by himself from home. And he's been told, uh, if you don't get 
injected with this substance, you're going to get fired. Mm -hmm. So it it breaks my heart to have to, uh, you know, tell people, well, go to these letters on our website and do some pushback on your own because in a country of 38 million people with 10 provinces and three territories, the 14 staff lawyers that we have are stretched pretty thin. But still, it, it breaks my heart to get these incoming stories. It's uh, it's so sad. Well, you're not losing a heart, I hope. No. No. Uh, truth eventually triumphs over the lies. Good eventually triumphs over evil. And so we always have to keep on uh, speaking truth or in, in current society, speaking truth to power. Because mm-hmm. it's very much, it's this powerful bullying that is is bulldozing away our rights and freedoms. So speaking truth to power uh, and and doing the right thing, even when it's difficult, is what we need to continue doing. Yeah, it seems to me, that, I mean, I'm being optimistic here, but it seems to me like they're getting near the end. I know that it seems like they're getting bolder and bolder all the time, but it also appears to be some kind of panic that is emboldening them as well. You know, the fact that they seem to be rushing through their draconian measures uh, at a pace that is almost unsustainable. The fact that Trudeau brings in or announces his vaccine mandate for federal employees and they have to exempt two thirds of the employees in order to, you know, to, uh, to get it through, even though I don't think they've actually passed anything through there. There have been a few articles questioning whether he'll actually even be able to bring in legislation to do this. So, you know, it's uh, to me. It's that's the optimistic thing is the fact that they've had to rush this so fast and so far uh, beyond making it acceptable to the public. You know, to me, it's uh, it's it's a sign of hope, and the fact that more people seem to be recognizing that here in our province of Alberta, that the premier is sounding increasingly ridiculous, is to me a good sign, right? Because of the the stuff he's saying, he sounds exactly the same as last year. In fact, that's why he decided to limit Thanksgiving. He said, well, our numbers went up at Thanksgiving last year, so we're going to have to do it again this year. That's his justification for it, right? You know, as if like nothing happened and everything that you did in your our very expensive healthcare system failed. And uh, nobody- Well, there, there we've got the media, uh, the media praising government and uh, uh, promoting the government narrative once again. If we had honest, independent media, they would be saying- Premier Kenny, you promised in April of 2020 that you would increase the ICU capacity so we would have more than 1,000 ICU spaces in in Alberta. Why have you not done that? Well, we have honest, independent media. It's just, you know, us and (laughs) a few other small outlets, you know. We're not getting the bucks from the Canadian government. If we did, we probably wouldn't be honest and independent, you know. So I think that's the... uh, the issue is the size of they've co-opted the mainstream media and it's so large, you know. So, well, like I say, I, for some reason, I remain ludicrously optimistic uh, and you can't talk me out of it. Okay, John? Well, it's crumbling around the edges. And yeah. when you've got, when you've got uh, doctors like Dr. Daniel Nagase speaking publicly about I- Ivermectin and, and when what you he see saw. this. Yeah. What yeah. That, that, uh, it, Again, not a large sample size. He's talked about three patients, but yeah, two, two out of three patients got significantly better within 24 hours. To uh, me, that wasn't the that wasn't the juice in the story. To me, the juice in the story was this person, this 
health official that came down on him so hard. And uh, yeah, that that to me was the the real nut of the story, the fact that they just came down on him like a ton of bricks because of what he had tried in in attempting to save these patients, you know. And that deserves equal attention to the fact that he was able to save these patients. Yeah. Okay, so with John. Courageous, with courageous people like Dr. Daniel Nagase and so many others and doctors speaking up and uh, gradually, it takes a long time for things to filter into the public consciousness. I barely heard about Ivermectin. If I think back to March of 2020 when lockdowns first started, uh, March, April, May, the summer, the fall, ivermectin was not front and center on my mind and um, perhaps also not on, on the minds of a lot of other people. And maybe the data wasn't in yet, or at least not as strongly, right? But now we're in Yeah, but it wasn't October. just ivermectin. It was the hydro hydroxychloroquine thing. Hydroxychloroquine with, with as the, well. Yeah, with Trump uh, mentioning it and the uh, entire media going completely turning against it. That was quite a shock. And it kind of bled into the ivermectin as well. So, I mean, the idea of therapeutics using other things to ameliorate the the symptoms of COVID that was the uh, that was the thing that we were looking at before the vaccine came. Anyways, that's not where we're kind of going to stray too far. That's a topic I guess we could probably do an entire symposium on. Okay, with that, we'll call an early end to the podcast because I've just found some audio of Dr. Nagazi's October first speech. And I'll append it to this podcast after our outro music. Thanks so much, John, for being with us for episode 34. And I look forward to talking to you next week. All right. Take care, Kevin. Our next speaker is a MD, Dr. Daniel Nagasi, has been a doctor for over 15 years. He graduated from Dalhousie Medical School in 2004. He has been an emergency doctor for 10 years and has been working in rural, underserved communities throughout Alberta since 2015. He has a story he would like to share with you about what happened after he gave COVID in patients intramexin in a small hospital west of Red Deer, Alberta. I am honored to have Daniel come and speak. And with all other speakers, he'll have to stay close to the microphone to avoid the echoing that you might hear from time to time. Daniel, thank you. It's very good to see all of you out here. Thank you very much, Joseph. And I'm so happy to see every single one of you here remembering the Nuremberg trials. And that's the key here, remembering. Not just the nurses, and the doctors who are helping by speaking the truth, people like Dr. Charles Hoff in Lytton, 
but also to remember the doctors in hospital administration, the doctors at the College of Physicians and Surgeons, the doctors you see on TV that are standing in the way of life-saving medication. Let me tell you what happened in Rimby, Alberta. It's a small town about two hours west of Red Deer. It shocked me. I started on Saturday morning in the ER, and when it came time to round on the ward patients, the charge nurse informed me that three of the patients on the COVID wing had deteriorated overnight. All the patients were on oxygen and extremely short of breath. And the only medications these patients were on were steroids. A medication that will decrease inflammation, but increase the chance of a bacterial infection because it suppresses the immune system. That's right. These COVID patients were on medication, and the only medication they were on was an immune suppressant. One woman who spoke to me said, she felt like we just put her in a corner and were waiting for her to die. We weren't doing anything for her. I told her that I can't speak for the usual doctors at the hospital, but it's the weekend and I'm on a shift and I'll do everything I can to help. I offered Ivermectin. She wanted to try it because she heard nothing but good things about Ivermectin. All three of my COVID patients who had deteriorated from the night before wanted Ivermectin. The small hospital in Rimby did not have any, so we had to ask Red Deer Hospital's Central Pharmacy to send us some Ivermectin. They refused. Red Deer's Central Pharmacist said Ivermectin was useless for COVID. He even had the pharmacy director for all of Alberta contact me to tell me that Ivermectin did not work. The pharmacy director for Alberta Health Services is Dr. Gerald Lazarenko. Remember that name. He is both a pharmacist and a doctor and a professor at the University of Calgary. He insisted to me that Ivermectin had no place in the treatment of COVID. Being rejected from Red Deer Central Pharmacy, we checked the local pharmacies. And God bless that charge nurse. Because although both pharmacies in town did not have Ivermectin, one pharmacist, who had been a pharmacist in Rimby for 25 years, said he would do everything he could to find me some even if it took all day. We didn't have all day. My patients were sick. So I started them on the next best thing, hydroxychloroquine, which the hospital did have. I also started vitamin C, vitamin D, and zinc. 
And because my patients were coughing and short of breath, I gave them inhalers, salbutamol and Flovent, the same inhalers that have been used for asthma for over 50 years. And finally, I also gave them azithromycin. Surprisingly, by the late afternoon, the town pharmacist, the one who would do anything to find ivermectin, finally found some ivermectin. He couldn't get it from his usual chemical supply because it was a Saturday. He had to get it from an agricultural supply. He went to the co-op store, he checked to make sure that it was the exact same ivermectin that a pharmacist would give to a person. He brought it back to his pharmacy and he checked it again. It was the exact same ivermectin he would take himself or he would give to his own mother. Then he called me with the good news. I handed ivermectin to each of my three patients with their exact dose according to their weight. And you'll never guess what happened next. Within hours of my patients getting ivermectin, I got a call from the Central Zone Medical Director in Alberta, Dr. Jennifer Bestard. She called me to tell me I was forbidden from giving ivermectin to patients. I told her, She's never met my patients. She's never examined them. She is not their doctor. She has no right to be changing the care of my patients. She has no right to interfere, intervene in the care of patients without their permission. She repeated, Ivermectin was forbidden from the hospital. Even if patients had their own Ivermectin, which I would have happily given over to a relative so the relative could hand it over to the patient so the patient could take it herself. Patients are not allowed to have Ivermectin even if it's their own. She said it was a violation of Alberta Health Services policy to give Ivermectin for COVID. But that wasn't good enough. The next day, she called the hospital and gave me 15 minutes notice that I would be relieved of my medical duties. I told her this was completely unreasonable. I had an emergency department full of patients who can't be sorted out in 15 minutes. But nevertheless, an hour later, another doctor showed up to replace me. They didn't even want me to check up on the patients I gave Ivermectin to. Not even 24 hours after getting Ivermectin, two out of my three patients were almost completely better. They were out of bed, walking around, and all the crackles I heard in their lungs were gone. All it took was about 18 hours and one dose of Ivermectin. The third patient was 95 years old. She stayed the same. She didn't get any worse 
like she did from the night before. Later on, I found out that no sooner had I left the hospital, the next doctor who came to replace me stopped the antibiotics, stopped all the vitamins, and she even stopped my patient's inhalers. Within hours of me living, leaving the hospital, this doctor took away my patient's inhalers, inhalers that helped them breathe. Thankfully, both of those 70-year-old patients that had immediate recoveries after ivermectin, they left the hospital within the week. I'd like to speak briefly to the healthcare professionals in the crowd and who might be listening. No doctor would take away antibiotics and inhalers for any viral pneumonia, never mind COVID. No doctor would do that for any patient with pneumonia, unless they were. Well, I'll let you think about that. We are remembering Nuremberg after all. And for healthcare professionals, I want us all to think very deeply about that. But it gets worse. In my brief day and a half in the small town of Rimby, I saw two patients who had been recently discharged from Red Deer Hospital after being on the COVID ward. They were sent home with nothing, not even an inhaler. These patients were so desperate, they ended up in a small town ER wanting help. And this is just days after being sent home from a tertiary care regional hospital with nothing. There is something malicious going on. I hope you can all see the bigger picture. This is more than me having all my assignments cancelled in all the small communities I was scheduled to work. This is more than me being cancelled for the rest of the year. This is more than the medical director, Dr. Francois Belanger of Alberta Health Services, banning me from hospital practice throughout Alberta. Just a week after giving Ivermectin, and then filing a complaint against the Alberta pharmacy director, a complaint that I sent to the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta about the pharmacy director for an entire province denying 11 pages of studies showing 0% mortality for patients given Ivermectin. In study after study after study, 0% mortality, 0% mortality, 0% mortality with Ivermectin. And guess what? This is all contained when inside Alberta Health Service's own report on Ivermectin published in February. Just a week after I filed a complaint about Dr. Gerald Lazarenko withholding life-saving medications from an entire province, the Alberta College of Physicians and Surgeons forbade 
doctors and pharmacists from giving patients ivermectin. We must remember. We are here to remember. Not just the people who died from medical experimentation. We are here to remember the people today. We are here to remember every single doctor, lawyer, medical ethicist that sits on the board of the BC College who is investigating Dr. Charles Hoff for speaking the truth. We are here to remember every doctor who stopped patients from having a life-saving medication. And what for? To boost mortality? To create an ICU crisis? to declare a state of emergency across the entire province of Alberta, all to push a vaccine, we must remember. Remember the people of the past and the people of today. History repeats itself. Nuremberg will happen again. We must remember.